Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening to this podcast on virtual hearings. Today, we are discussing how to efficiently prepare for and successfully conduct a virtual arbitration hearing. My name is Lauren Rasking. I'm a senior associate at the ANO Brussels litigation team. And today I am joined by two ANO colleagues who have been involved recently in a number of virtual arbitration hearings of various sizes, and they will share their views with us. Werner Eskens, and Andrew Bennett. Can I ask you both to briefly introduce yourselves and to tell us a little bit about your experience with virtual hearings? Werner, I, I'll let you kick off. Thank you, Lauren. I'm a partner in the litigation and arbitration team in Brussels and in their capacity, I've worked a lot with Lauren and Andrew. We've done quite a few of these virtual hearings in the past years, as many people have. One of those hearings probably stands out because of its size. It was a very large arbitration hearing based in Brussels. It had witnesses and experts spread across the globe, thousands and thousands of pages of evidence. We were talking, I think, about more than 15,000 exhibits and more than 200,000 of pages to deal with. So it's really a bit mind boggling. More than 30 witnesses and more than five weeks of hearings. So that was for us a completely newly sized virtual hearing. And we really had to approach that differently. Okay. Well, thank you. And what about you, Andrew? Can you also briefly introduce yourself? Yeah, good morning, Lauren. Good morning, Werner. I'm a senior associate managing a team from Allen Rivery Belfast. We're part of the advanced delivery and solutions business in Allen Rivery. So I led the team from Belfast managing mostly the document review elements of the arbitration that Werner's been speaking about. But on every case, we work remotely with different offices. So we're well used to being that partner office to the different offices in Allen Rivery. Werner and Andrew, I believe it is fair to say that this pandemic has changed the way that we conduct arbitration hearings and that it has also created some new challenges on how to prepare for such hearings. Ellen Overy has taken pride in being the most advanced law firms and Andrew, you already mentioned it, advanced delivery is one of the ways to do so. You've been involved in this complex arbitration hearing that Werner talked about. Could you give us a little bit more context and how the two of you and the teams around you work together on that matter? Sure, Lauren. One, a big focus, of course, was to deal with the documents and the volume of documents on this. And a big step that we took was to make sure that we integrated Andrew's team much deeper in our way of working and to work together, not only on processing data and information, but to be able to rely also on Andrew's team's insights, their memory bank, really, and their tactical suggestions to build the case. Yeah, so even the way that we were instructed from the outset was very different from how you would instruct a typical third-party document review provider. You instructed us, the Belgian team instructed us by giving us access to the core documents, i.e. the witness statements, the core submissions, and asked us to do a case strategy out of that, rather than just sending us a mountain of emails and excels and how typically document review would have been done in the past. So we had that insight into the actual arguments that were being used in the case, and we were able to play an integral role right from the outset in developing case strategy. Yeah, Andrew, if I remember correctly, that was around Christmas, isn't that right? <laughs> yes, we were in fact having our Christmas party and the documents arrived after a week's delay and it was all hands to the pump in Belfast, as I'm sure it was in Belgium for that weekend. And then the seven days after that for the client meeting, good memories. 
Apologies for having messed up that Christmas party, but the net result of that way of working together was clearly that it would be as often Andrew's team as our team that would come up with the proverbial needle in the haystack and that one single piece of information we really needed to push back on arguments that were raised by the other sides. So it's really the net result of that way of working together. In a traditional document review exercise, we may be involved in isolated document review parts throughout a case, but in this matter, we were involved throughout the case. So that knowledge of the wider arguments is really instrumental as well. That's interesting you say that, Andrew, because in this new normal environment, let's call it, of the virtual hearings, many have already expressed a view on the impact of the virtual side of things on witness evidence, so cross-examinations in particular. But of course, Cases are often decided on the basis of documentary evidence that are put in front of a tribunal. And so therefore it is extremely important to also conduct such a thorough review of documents brought from the side of the client, but also of the other side, the documents that you request to see. And I can imagine that in the case you mentioned, it is particularly tricky if you have literally hundreds of thousands of documents involved. So Werner, how did you approach that? How did you make that work? Well, the way to do it is to really make as much use as we could in an as integrated way as we could of the two work streams of what Andrew can do. And that's really work with e-discovery and document review. But perhaps, Andrew, your best place to explain briefly how that works. Yeah, absolutely. So we in Belfast work very closely with our own in-house e-discovery team. So e-discovery is effectively the technical way of getting documents on any litigation matter or indeed transactional matters onto a platform and then getting a good review done of those to inform strategy. So the fact that we've got our own in-house team in Allen Overy and a platform that we can use and manipulate with artificial intelligence and analytic clustering and many forms of different techniques really helps us get ahead of the game on that. And that close relationship with our e-discovery team, who also form part of our advanced delivery and solutions business, is really integral. And we actually had someone from our e-discovery team seconded to Belgium, which I'm sure you'll remember for a huge period of time. And being close to the documents as he was, he was able to suggest alongside the review team in Belfast, some really interesting ways to get to the bottom of these huge document sets, you know, inboxes which might have had 60,000 emails in them. That's interesting because, of course, you mentioned the second D who has certain insights, but you also mentioned artificial intelligence. That's always something that makes lawyers dream a little bit. There are even books written about artificial intelligence for lawyers, as if it's something very alien. But how did you use that in particular on this case? So the case involved many different jurisdictions, many different witnesses, issues that, and a huge document set, as I've already said. So one of the things we, we used from the outset was clustering, thematic clustering. So putting all the documents into a review platform and asking the artificial intelligence to come up with themes that are being produced from those documents. Then we get a visual representation of the different bubbles of different themes. And we can see, okay, is what we know about the case from what we've heard from our client actually accurate or are there gaps in our knowledge? And we can do that across the other side's documents as well. We can use that to build a picture for our witness statements and our core documents submissions as well. So it's another way that the review team in Belfast and eDiscovery can really be integrated and play a strategic part in the lead office work as well. And the fact that it is, you mentioned, across different jurisdictions, does that mean that you also review documents in different languages? Did that cause any particular challenges for the team? 
yeah, that's always going to be a challenge in big cases like this across big international cases. So having the language identification software eDiscovery were able to deploy was also a major factor in dividing up the work as well. The other things that we used were continuous active learning, which is a way of artificially training the system to predict where the relevant documents are. So using human-based coding on a certain document set to then train up the computer to prioritize relevant documents. On cases like this, where we're talking about, as I said, 60,000 documents in one inbox alone, we need to use these things to intelligently get to the bottom of where the key documents are. There was one really cool feature which you could produce, which was that chart which showed the intensity of the email traffic between different persons. And I thought there was a really helpful visual tool to determine who are the key participants in a conversation on one of the topics which you then isolated. And that was a great help for us to plan document production requests, to prepare the identification of key witnesses, witnesses who were going to be there. And I think as importantly, witnesses who were not there and to determine the role which they actually had in the case. Absolutely. So if a witness says to us in a maybe a witness interview preparation meeting, look, I remember speaking to this person a lot during that time period. We can use that visualization that you've been speaking about, Werner, to see actually, is that accurate? Is that an accurate memory of that time, which may have been five, six years ago? And to see just very, very quickly on the visualization where the strands are. It's a bit like a, a flight destination map that you might have seen on the EasyJet website. Very easy to see, very easy to show to a client and get results out of. And Andrew, what is the benefit of having such a team who can do all of this in-house compared to a third-party document reviewer, because that exists, of course, as well. What would you say to that? I've worked a lot with third-party document reviewers, and we've sample reviewed their work on other matters. They're excellent, and they're very useful, and we will continue to use them in the future. But I think on a matter like this, where we need to have a detailed review, the contextual review, so have reviewers have the knowledge of the witness statements and the core documents, and not just review the emails in isolation. It's essential to have an integrated review team. We saw the benefit of it throughout the case as we were involved in more and more complex work. And indeed, we sent people to Belgium before lockdown on secondment, and then we were able to utilize them in a virtual setting. So having that team to directly contact you guys with key documents is really essential, as I suggest. So I understand there is a real advantage in terms of quality of the work. Does that also translate in terms of costs, Bernard? Was that also the case in this matter? The hard legal costs are, of course, a real test for this way of working. And, and I think not just for obviously the clients, but I think also for arbitration as an institution. And the results of what we could see after three to four years working in this way with Andrew's team are really impressive. We found that the work streams that were handled by Andrew's team can help us to drive costs by as much as 50%. And that's the result of calculated, detailed analysis for cost submissions, so that's a real finding. It's not just a case of throwing bodies on a review just to maximize the amount of documents we can get through. It's about intelligently putting resource that can be integrated into the matter and then take on more and more complex work throughout a huge three to four year period. By end of the matter, we're absolutely cost effective and doing work that would normally be done by associates in the lead office. Okay, well, thank you for that. That's very interesting. but. Maybe let's now turn from the preparation of a virtual hearing to the, the virtual hearings themselves. You've mentioned you've both been involved in what I would call a hybrid virtual hearing. So where you worked with various clusters or, as we would definitely say in Belgium now, bubbles of people. What is this? Could you describe this concept a little bit, Werner? 
Sure, as opposed to a real totally virtual hearing where everybody basically work from their kitchen table, a cluster or bubble setting or a hybrid virtual hearing is really setting up small controlled physical teams which then communicate with each other virtually. And that means that each side in proceedings will have their own different clusters, teams working together and the tribunal will sit together in one single bubble together with the secretary. Okay, and what would be the advantage of working in such a way? Well, our experience is that it gives a number of advantages. One of the key advantages we believe is that you can really have a core team sitting together, which can be the center of gravity to drive the proceedings. And I think for strategic decision making, that is extremely important. It can also, because everything is set up on a virtual platform basically help you to work together very well with people who are not sitting physically next to you. And that is, I think, the key tool for us to be able to integrate with teams like Andrew's team. I definitely echo that, Werner. And I mentioned previously about our secondee who was in Belgium before in a virtual setting, but then who was able to attend the tribunal remotely from Belfast. And that's not something we were able to do before very easily. So having that person that was as present from Belfast as anyone else from the tribunal attend meant that they felt completely integrated again to the team and they could be the eyes and ears for any last minute questions that were coming out of the tribunal or any anomalies or surprises that were being produced at the tribunal that could be fed directly back to our review team who could then answer questions and be that backstop to support you guys. And I think when I then look back at the inside, I would say of one single bubble, I think it's also very helpful to work together within that bubble. Our experience is that as a human being, there are only that many screens that you can manage. You typically have already three or four screens in front of you to follow the hearing and the documents that are shown. I think intra-team communications, so communications with your team members, if they need to come in through WhatsApp, text messages or another chat function, that's yet another screen on top of all that and that's just too much information. The thing that works best in our experience is to be able to communicate with the good old post-its and just a few carefully chosen keywords in capitals on that document or sometimes just a quick glance to a team member is the best and fastest way to communicate. So that's something really important within that team and then without sliding into armchair psychology here building up the team spirits by physical presence and to be able to support each other in stressful circumstances is something i think that cannot be replaced by somebody on a screen so that physical presence is something incredibly important i also think that when you need during hearings make very fast and important decisions Making those decisions when you are in the same room leads to better decisions than when you need to make them over a screen. So physical presence has its importance, but how do you do that in times where social distancing has become the new normal? How did you set up your cluster or your bubble vision? That was a real challenge. We started from basically measuring the distance that we had to respect and uh, try to see how many people we could bring into a room. And so we 
ended up with a room set up that we called our Houston Control Center. It looked a bit like the Space Center when they launch uh, a rocket into space. And the guidance was also that we had to make sure to have enough ventilation. So that meant opening windows. This was during the winter season. So the internal rule was also dress warmly because it's cold in that room. I can imagine. Uh, let's maybe Andrew and, and Werner zoom out a little bit from that one case. And I would like to just generally have your views on what you think are the main advantages of having a hearing in such a virtual setting. I'm happy to jump in here, Lauren. I think multitasking takes a completely different shape. You have quite a few team members within the bubble and outside your bubble in your clusters who can do a lot of work off screen while they really remain completely tapped into the hearing. So that allows you, I think, in a much more efficient way to simultaneously deal with work streams without losing people's attention for what's going on in the hearing. And it allows for very quick follow-up tasks, as Andrew just explained. I think Time management, to a certain extent, is easier too. There have been a lot of publications and earlier comments in the other podcasts about how much more tiresome virtual hearings are. That also leads to better, I think, planning and predictable hours for hearings because people just collapse if hearings go on too long, so they do stop on time. And I think finally, hearing techniques and cross-examination techniques We talked about that in the past. It is different, so you need to adjust. In a typical virtual setup, you will see the witness whom you need to cross-examine in a screen size that imitates somebody who's standing 50 centimeters away from you. So that's probably the distance you stand away from somebody in an elevator. And I think that our brains are wired to either punch or kiss somebody at that distance. And those are, of course, obviously the two things you cannot do with a witness. So you need to really adjust to that. It's also more tiring, I find, because eye contact tends to fall away. There's different body language. You cannot see the lower part of somebody's body, including your own. You cannot show that. And witnesses, when they dial in from home, they tend to be more relaxed. That can be something very positive or negative, depending on which sides you approach this. But all these are new elements to which you need to adjust in a different way. I also think that the client involvement in a virtual hearing can in fact be much more effective because they can be close by without sitting in the actual virtual cluster room. And I think that allows the team to work very efficiently when under high pressure decisions need to be taken and to very quickly relay those to the clients and take instructions. Okay, thank you for those insights, Werner. Maybe as a, a final consideration here of this discussion, we see that more and more legal practitioners like ourselves, I would say, see the advantages of the virtual hearings that we mentioned before, so more efficient, higher quality, also in terms of time management, etc. Now, we see, of course, in this COVID context, the vaccination campaigns are thankfully progressing. And so maybe the end of the pandemic might come inside. Question is a little bit, does that also mean the end of these virtual hearings? Will we switch back to how it used to be? My personal view is that we won't and that virtual hearings are probably here to stay. It is not just COVID that we're talking about. There are also other challenges that are clearly on the agenda also of the three of us, I might say, such as climate change that will also change the way that we are conducting these hearings. So I think virtual hearings are here to stay. Would you agree to that? What are your views? Werner, can I start with you again? Yes, I agree. I think that they're here to stay for the reasons that you just explained, Lauren. 
I think that they come with a number of challenges. These are mainly technical, and I think these are all manageable. If you know you can identify the differences, you can deal with them. And I think the experience of the past year, not just for our firm, but I think throughout the arbitration community has demonstrated that it is perfectly possible. So yes, they will stay. And I think that these downsides can be managed without losing sight, I think, of one important downside for which I have not yet seen a real solution. And that is, of course, that, that you don't have that physical contact. You're not in the same room as the other side is. And for example, that leads to the consequence that the only contacts you have with the other side are in a very formal setting in presence of the tribunal. So you don't have those coffee break moments anymore. It's perhaps a little bit of an urban myth, but I do think that sometimes settlement discussions can be sparked by a coffee break moment and you don't have those anymore. Something else that has disappeared, I think, is the social contact you typically have in a hearing. It's also an opportunity to meet other people outside of your own team. And that is something which has fallen away. And I have not seen yet a real solution for that in a virtual setting. So I think virtual hearings are there to stay. I hope they will not entirely replace real good old fashioned physical hearings. Just to add that, I think virtual hearings do present more challenges and their advantages and disadvantages as we've discussed, but they also present a real opportunity for innovation and for non-legal teams perhaps to get involved like e-discovery, like legal technology teams or consulting as well. So from my point of view, leading a team in Belfast, which is an alternative way of resourcing work and seeing the success of that in this tribunal, I think I'm very positive about virtual hearings and how it can lead to more integration and the legal teams having to reach out to non-legal teams to get innovative solutions. And at Allen Overy, obviously, we've got the advanced delivery and solutions businesses already up and running. So that's a natural way to progress and develop this in the future, to expand those offerings and to tap into those groups, which as we've seen, can be done very successfully on a remote basis. Okay, so I heard it. It also offers opportunities of innovation, this COVID situation. So that's maybe a bright note to end this discussion on. Thank you both. And it seems that the virtual hearings have a bright future ahead. Thank you. Thanks, Lauren Andrew. Bye. Thank you. Bye.